This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 71st ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great today, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's not It's not really a beautiful Springfield, Missouri today, is it? Hey, if it's January and the temperature's in the 50s... That's true. It's not super cold. I'm going to call it beautiful. It's like doing all kinds of something out there yeah raining and winding and yeah other somethings that's really it you don't even want to know about Mm -hmm. um we got two games to recap and two games to preview this week um for those that don't know we cover uh mizzou football and basketball it's basketball season so we're going to be really diving deep into the sec games that are being played Unfortunately, they haven't looked great so far for Missouri, but we will recap them regardless and try to find some silver linings and figure out what the outlook is moving forward. Before we do any of that, let's talk about some news. Uh, Real quick, just some SEC news. Mike Leach has been announced as the next head coach at Mississippi State. I just said announced. I don't think, I don't know if the university has made it official, but um, he will be the next head coach at Mississippi State. Yeah. Yeah, um, honestly, I kind of thought it would just be a matter of time before Mike Leach was in the SEC because I think he just kind of fits like the SEC. I don't know, he's just fun and quotable, and um, it seems like just the general population of the South would probably enjoy having him as a coach. Um, he he always brings brings about some uh, some entertaining press conferences. I would say uh, probably more fun when you're winning. If he's acting like that and you're losing, you're probably just like, all right. Yeah, I think he rubs a few people the wrong way from time to time, but he's the type of person that's not really going to apologize for anything no, or, not. or uh, worry about what other people think. So uh, like you said, that's great when everything is going well, but mm-hmm. it's easy to turn on someone with that attitude yeah. when things aren't going well. And Mizzou plays at Mississippi State next year, so that'll be a first-hand look at, uh, at their team next year, and that'll be a fun Egg Bowl with uh, – uh, Lane Kiffin versus yeah. Mike Leach. That'll be that'll be something. Yeah. Who who do you think lasts longer? Uh, I'll I'll say uh, Mike Leach lasts longer. That and, and Mike Leach is getting he's getting a little old at this point. I feel like I don't know how much longer he's going to be coaching, but um, I feel like both places are probably equally difficult to win at. So yeah, he's fifty eight years old. Whoever wins more Lane egg bowls Kiffin's stays like longer. Twenty four. So yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> I disagreed with you. Like, no matter what you were going to say, he's 24. Uh, Lane, Lane Kiffin, Kiffin is 44. Well, you were almost a whole lifetime away, so yeah. that wasn't super he's close. He's had, like, but. two separate careers, like, pre-becoming offensive coordinator yeah. at Alabama and post that. Yeah, he kind of like, had to, uh, like, recover because he he was coaching in the NFL at one point, too. Wasn't yep. he the head coach of, like, the Raiders or something? Yep and was unsuccessful and kind of had to just hit the reset button. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, in other coaching news uh, here in Springfield, Dave Steckel will no longer be the head coach of the Missouri State Bears. You, some of you may be surprised. If if they hadn't played Missouri a couple years ago, probably nobody would know they had a football team. Yeah, Missouri State has an absolutely awful program. They've been bad historically, and they will probably always be bad because it's just a hard – area to recruit in and you they're in like a tough conference so they're just never going to get any traction probably no matter who they get in here um but dave steckle did not have a very good career here and i think they won like one game last year so uh, i'm honestly surprised that they didn't fire him earlier i thought they should have fired him a month or two ago um, but now they've kind of i don't know wasted time and if, we were, they, if they didn't fire him at this point, they're just like admitting they're the worst football program ever, which they already are, but that would be them openly uh, just admitting that they are and being okay with it. Yeah. And we were talking about just a little bit ago that the press release was worded in a way that I don't think I've ever seen from 
it, he didn't resign. He did. They didn't fire him, according to the press release. It was like they've mutually separated. Yeah, they don't care about winning. Yeah, <laughs> let's just put it that way. <laughs> so I would I would say it'll be interesting to see who they get, but nobody cares. Uh, moving on. Mantra Edwards Jr. will be a Tiger after all. Kyle, does that make you happy? Makes me happy. Um, second time's a charm, I guess. Uh, I, I guess good for him for kind of taking some time. I know that he probably felt like he rushed into the decision last time um, and just kind of needed to step step back and and take a minute. So, um, but it looks like you know it's it's reassuring that he came back and decided this is this is what I want to do even after uh, a coaching change and all that. So hopefully, uh, what what we've got another month or so till the next signing day hopefully we can hold on to him before then yeah or till then yeah um i just remembered that also jalen st john uh it's official that he is no longer considering missouri so um seems like with recruiting every bit of good news you get there's usually bad news to go along with it true and this i think mainly this is just really important for missouri's recruiting class just because of the attrition that they're going to have a defensive line and the lack of recruits they have in that position right now it's yeah, actually the a little, first one i think it's a little scary yeah because they had several other guys committed in uh <clears throat> on the d line and then they they left when barry odom was fired and then um, it's looking like uh billingsley is gonna have to go the juco route so he is at this time looks like the only commitment on the d line right uh looking a little bit further ahead to the future um uh, big time recruit for 2021 uh, from Lutheran North, a defensive end, Travion Ford. He will be visiting Missouri this weekend. So good to get those guys on campus. And then there were just a ton of offers um, sent out this past week. So, and there'll be more to come. So when the dust settles on all of that uh, in a little bit, we'll kind of dive in and maybe pick a few guys to that are worth keeping an eye on. Um, but if you just scroll through Twitter, if you follow the right account if you follow us on twitter you'll see uh us retweeting those um those players when they get their offer you can keep track of that a little bit um anything about ford taking his visit that you want to talk about uh yeah obviously travian ford's gonna be an absolute i don't know monster for whoever gets him it's gonna be really tough for mizzou to land him but um you never know um i think they've done what they can at this point they've been on and on him early and they've got a good relationship with Carl Reed over there at Lutheran North. So, um, just gotta keep doing what you can do and you never know. And maybe things get turned around here in the next 12 months or so. And we're looking at maybe having a shot. That would be one of those guys that, uh, Drinkwitz has talked about. I mean, he's been pretty adamant that he's going to lock down the state of Missouri. And as someone who has seen coaches say that kind of stuff before, just kind of you don't really want to roll your eyes at it, but it's just like, okay, yeah, you, just, you're saying that now because you kind of have to, but... Yeah, best of luck. Yeah, good luck to you. Uh, any other news that I missed before we dig into the basketball games? I think that's it. All right, so Missouri played Kentucky uh, last Saturday, and they played at Rupp Arena. Missouri lost that game 71-59, to and... Every, kind of started out okay for Missouri. Uh, after 10 minutes, they were up 17 to 11, but Kentucky outscored them 60 to 42 the rest of the way. And for Kentucky, it was basically Emmanuel Quickly and Nick Richards. They did everything. They combined for 44 of Kentucky's 71 points. Richards added 12 rebounds and four blocks to go along with his 21 points. And Emmanuel Quickly was four of eight from three, and a perfect nine of nine from the free throw line. So those two guys basically took over and Missouri couldn't stop them. Richards right from the opening tip was obviously a problem that Missouri did not have an answer for. Yeah. I think he scored their first like nine points or something. I don't know. He was really impressive and he's a good player. You know, he's, he's a junior. He's been around the program for a little while. And I think people have expected that he might be able to break out like this at some point. So um, Mizzou definitely caught Nick Richards in the on the wrong day. Um, this is just a frustrating game to watch in general. I know we'll we'll talk about it um, probably more in detail as we go, but um, I don't recall being so frustrated with refs in a game in a really long time. And obviously, 
certain players in Kentucky, like you mentioned, uh, quickly and, and Richards were both excellent, and they were both good enough to to get the win. I think, but um, I think this could have been a really really competitive game from start to finish if uh, if the refs would have been a little uh, kinder to us because it felt like there were some really important moments of the game where we had some momentum and it was just completely halted by some questionable calls um, and things like that. So, well, the momentum aspect that was. At the beginning, I mean, when you talk about this first 10 minutes or so, um, that was stopped. The momentum was stopped dead in its tracks by reviews. And they were not, in my opinion, not warranted. I mean, I was Tillman involved in both of those? Um, it's probably safe to assume he was. Probably. But um, at least one. And it was just like, really, we're reviewing this right now? Like, they're just... It just seemed so unnecessary. And speaking of Tillman, he only played eight minutes in this game. I think obviously now we know he was still having issues with his foot injury, but played eight minutes and committed four fouls, but also had seven points. So he was very active in his eight minutes. Unfortunately, that's all we got. And we will touch back on him a little bit later. But what did you just think about Missouri playing so much of this game without him? against Kentucky where you basically need all hands on deck if you're going to have a, have a chance. Yeah. I mean, it, I, well, Missouri's just going to have to get used to it first of all. And I, I think they probably already are, um, at, at this point in the season. Um, what I did not expect was Axel Okongo coming in the game for like maybe 40 seconds and then leaving. Um, but yeah, uh, Reed's going to be, have to, going to have to be ready to go. Mitchell Smith is going to play, a lot of minutes and Kobe's going to have to play more minutes at the four, um, which is unfortunate because we know that Tillman just helps everything flow better on offense. It helps shift more athletic guys onto the floor. So we don't have to play Reed Nico as much as we've been playing him or, or whatever the case is. Um, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, I, I gotta say, I, I just, I think Tillman has to be aware of what refs apparently think of him around the league. And I just, I was getting really frustrated at how he was just going toe to toe with Nick Richards in this game, like in the way, and I know that you want to play passionately and that's how, that's just who he is. And I understand that, but going right at the guy who's got the hot hand, he's getting all the calls as it is. You're playing in rep arena you get called for the more fouls than anyone in like sec history at this rate probably and richards is known for getting to the free throw line so exactly. he has that reputation already exactly reputation that's the word i was looking for <laughs> um yeah i just don't i i was i was really frustrated that he just kept continuing to do battle with nick richards down there in in ways that just you knew you're gonna get called for you yeah. knew you're gonna bring attention to yourself and i th i do think part of the blame on that the whole situation with tillman and his fouling is partially, especially offensive fouls down low. That's got to be partly on the coaching staff because Absolutely. they're just, they seem stubborn in that they refuse to use him in any other ways except just posting him up and trying to get an entry pass from the, from the wing. And, you know, when he's having to like repost, multiple times in one possession and just like fight for position for 15 seconds, then you're just inviting those calls. Well, yeah, it's probably also whenever they try to bring him off a screen though, he goes out, goes out and sets the screen and gets an offensive foul half the time he does yeah. it. So they're probably just like at a loss for how to use him. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, at, at this point, it, well, it may not matter, but you know, this season with, with how the, the season had gone so far with him and not really seeing that much improvement with the fouling, I don't know. I would have tried to just do something completely different. I would have tried to move him around a little bit more and just try to get creative. And if you, if he still fouls doing that, then at least you tried something else. Yeah, he's too talented and too impactful on this team to just. I I agree. Like like what you said, he's just well. I he'll figure it out. Just yeah. we'll just keep putting him in the same positions and. And hopefully he hopefully he figures it out, and that's clearly not worked for three years. So yeah. Uh, Tillman made his the only two shots he took in this game, and he made his three free throws. Uh, Missouri as a team 
shot 38% from two. Uh, they were six of 18 from three, which is okay. Um, Drew Smith, unfortunately, was the leading scorer with 11 points. I say unfortunately because he was four of 12 shooting, so he was not uh, efficient in any way. And I don't know. The offense just shooting 38% from two, you're going to lose every SEC game if you're shooting that terribly from two point two point range. Um, looking through the box score real quick, Mitchell Smith 0 of 4 on two pointers, Mario McKinney 0 for 3. So when you're uh, uh, Xavier Pinson 1 for 4, you're getting guys to the basket or in the lane for shots and they just just can't make them. Drew Smith, 4 of 12. I mean, that's just about as bad as any of the other guys. And what's crazy is Missouri actually made more field goals in this game than Kentucky did. They just got to the line a lot, lot less. Yeah. And they made 16 less free throws than Kentucky did, which was single-handedly the difference right there. And and that's to be expected in some way. In Kentucky, that's just what they do. They get to the line. They're going to get calls and erupt. That's to be expected. But um, it's just crazy to, to feel how lopsided the game was in the second half and still know that you made more two- and three-pointers than they did. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, speaking of fouls, Missouri fouled 28 times, according to the refs. Kentucky, 19. Free throws. Um, Missouri was 11 of 17. Kentucky was 27 of 30. So even if Missouri makes all their free throws, um, that's just, you can't, that's really tough to overcome. And I know Missouri, I mean, they're, statistical profile will tell you they foul more than the average team and Kentucky gets to the free throw line more than an average team. So when you combine both of those things, it's likely not going to be great for Missouri, but I don't know. There's something amiss with college basketball officiating when you can have the Illinois game from earlier this season and the Kentucky game from Saturday. That's almost not even the same sport. Like, the way that Illinois game was called with how much they were letting every single player get away with, and then to see some of the fouls they called in the Kentucky game, like, how is there not... I can appreciate the consistency within the Illinois game, like, with just that self-contained game, but the, the inconsistency between games of the same sport, I don't know how you could coach it or play it at that level. Right, that's a good point. I just... <clears throat> and that's a good point, and, and also, I, I just get so frustrated when I look at the foul totals and Kentucky's in the double bonus and there's been four fouls called on, on, on them. And I just don't, I don't see any way that a normal competitive power five game could be played that lopsidedly. I, I, and like you said, I know Missouri fouls a lot and they struggle to get to the line, but, and Kentucky does that well, but I just don't see in any way that there could be that big of a discrepancy in how the teams are, are fouling each other. Well, it would actually make some sort of sense if Missouri was like just jacking up threes all game and not mixing it up down low. and But that, that wasn't the case. I mean, Missouri, Missouri shot two more three-pointers than Kentucky. And they shot eight more two-pointers. So they were not you know, just settling for outside shots the where you are less likely to get fouled. They were getting in there and at least trying to get to the basket. And I do think, you know, the, the uh, field goal percentage on two pointers would look pretty different if, um, a lot of those were called fouls. So that does contribute to that case as well. But yeah, like you said, just really frustrating overall having to watch that and the inconsistency. I know, and I didn't really like how the Illinois game was officiated just from a pleasant basketball viewing experience. You know, I'd rather see the offense move a little bit more freely and some whistles will, in theory, free that up a little bit. But uh, at this point, I don't care how they want to officiate as long as it's consistent. I think it's pretty well known that Conzo likes to sub in and out a lot, and I don't have any data with me to support that that he does that, but... I would say they Missouri subs in and out much more frequently than the average college basketball team. What do you 
How, how do you feel about that? Do you think that there's too many substitutions going on? Do you think it, it hinders potentially guys getting in a rhythm? Um, I think there's definitely a case to be made for that. I think there are a couple situations, though, that I don't know how you get around it without doing that. Um, is it just a byproduct of Missouri fouling a lot? I don't think it is completely because we see Kobe Brown, for example, who looks to me like maybe he's doing something that's not part of the game plan or uh, he's having some defensive lapses that aren't easy to pick up when you're just watching the broadcast. But he seems like a guy who is having productive minutes and he's barely getting 20 minutes a game, if that. So how maybe how the freshmen are being used uh, in relation to the substitution pattern could be questioned. Um, I definitely think once you get to conference play, you got to kind of shorten your bench a little bit and figure out who are the guys I want out there Mm -hmm. and just let them play. I I agree. I do think, uh, I know Ken Palm, let me see if I can find that. They do keep track of how often a coach subs or how, how, let me see here, how much they let players play with two fouls and Conzo Martin is 238th this year in two foul playing percentage. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I personally would like to see a little bit more consistency and maybe guys stay in the game a little bit longer. Um, and like you said, I, I sometimes don't really understand how and why certain guys are in, are in the game. And, um, part of me wants to see, you know, Trey Jackson and Mario McKinney get in there a little bit more and, and get some minutes and get some game time experience. And then part of me is also like, ah, just find like seven or eight guys that are going to be our best chance to win and just let them play the almost the whole game so i'm kind of split and obviously that's why Conzo gets paid three million dollars is to figure that stuff out and and what rotation is going to work the best and and which strategy is going to work the best for subbing in and out but um and i'm obviously no no genius on the topic but i just feel like guys should be in the game a little bit longer unless they're just making horrendous defensive errors yeah, when you look at the uh, the minutes breakdown for Missouri, it's basically uh, Drew Smith and Mark Smith above everybody else, and then Penson, Tillman, Pickett, Kobe Brown, Torrance Watson, Mitchell Smith are all just kind of yeah in the middle. Super there. inconsistent yeah. on on how much playing time they get in a game, and especially with Penson, I feel like he's a guy that that's shown the he should get more minutes like he should consistently be getting like 20 25 minutes a game and i'm not sure that he is every time and it well sometimes it seems like he gets 15 minutes and sometimes he gets 35 it's just like seems like it's all over the place with him in particular and um especially when missouri seems like they're not a great shooting team but it's but it kind of feels like they have the ability to be a decent shooting team why not try something different and just why not let mark smith just play 10 interrupted minutes or something if he wants to, or, or whatever the case is. I don't know. Just give some guys more fluidity out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that I don't know as somebody just watching it on TV, you just kind of pick up on these, just, you know, a guy, it does seem like as a player, you would just struggle to kind of get in that rhythm and just get a good feel for an individual game. And when you're not, I mean, you gotta. You can't think it's a conditioning issue with these guys, no. and if it's not a foul issue, then why why take them out? Right, and I also like. I mean, there's there's certain ways you can look at like punishing a player whenever they make a mistake, but I almost feel like you want to keep them out there just to, I don't know, give them the chance to redeem themselves. Yeah, kinda... and I don't think that Conzo, in his history, is necessarily a guy that you know, maybe more for <clears throat> if he just sees that a guy's not getting the game plan defensively. I think that is that will cause them to yeah. not return to the game. Yeah. Maybe punishment is a strong word, but yeah. just I mean, sometimes I'll see Nico, you know, lose an assignment or you know just do something kind of dumb on the defensive end, and I'll, he just immediately yanks him. Mm-hmm. Or, and I've seen that with other players as well, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know if he 
that's just kind of why he subs in and out so much is just if you do something dumb i'm gonna immediately pull you out so you know that i'm not supposed to do that yeah or i don't know there's kind of multiple ways that you could look at it it could be a positive or a negative and i do think there have been just little things about the roster each year that um kind of things just end up being up in the air and i think that's a especially now um, we can kind of transition into the Tennessee game, but uh, now with Tillman out indefinitely, um, there's just another one of your core pieces for the third year in a row that is going to miss significant chunk of the season. And I mean, that was just an easy go-to kind of reason or excuse, if you want to call it that the first two seasons with MPJ going down and then John Tay going down in the preseason who you, you know, everything you did was built around what are these guys going to do? And that kind of throws the rotations up in the air. And now I'm worried that we may even see more of that with Tillman out. So I don't know. This seems kind of like a pessimistic conversation, but it's the reality of the situation when you just look as really the way the offense has just struggled. You just need somebody to find a rhythm and have some consistency. Yeah. Missouri's not, Missouri's not uh, meeting expectations for Conzo in year three. And so it's time to start having these conversations. Like, why why are things not working out like we thought they would? And, you know, certainly some of those setbacks, I think, <clears throat> can hurt Missouri in the long run. I mean, we planned that whole season. Uh, that whole offense was built around MPJ. He goes down. What do you do? You kind of just figure something out. The whole second year, whole offense is figured is is designed around Jonte. He goes down. What do you do? And so, in some ways, you know, we just had these massive, like year long, like season long setbacks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you know necessarily buys Conzo a whole lot more time, or you know, it gives me a whole lot more reason to give him a pass yeah but you still look at the rest of the roster and say you should be able to win games with these guys. right yeah. we still probably should be farther along in the process than we are right now and it would be one thing honestly if if the team if you looked at their efficiency ratings and they were sitting at like you know uh 50th on defense and 60th on offense and you can see like okay they're just not quite there you know on either side but to be that good on defense and then that bad on offense is just kind of head scratching. And especially when you have guys that were able to make shots just last year, um, we're going to be just sitting here hoping that they can find a way to make shots for the rest of the season until it happens. Exactly. And the Tennessee game is a perfect example of what happens when a team you should beat gets hot and starts making a few baskets that you don't plan on essentially statistically um, because they just, ran away with a game when Missouri couldn't keep up like Tennessee just made shots all game long it just seemed like when they needed a bucket they they hit it they hit multiple threes in a row multiple different times and that's just backbreaking when you're scoring 60 points a game if if anybody you know gets hot you're screwed yeah and especially Tennessee without Lamonte Turner who he was their go-to guy and um he Looks like he's actually done with basketball probably forever because of lingering shoulder issues. So that really sucks for him and uh, Tennessee as a whole. But, you know, that was like Missouri without Tillman. It's like, okay, well, this is probably just go ahead and make write this down as a loss. But then Tennessee without arguably their best player and you're playing in Columbia, it's like, okay, we're right back in this thing. You know, anything can happen. And, man, I don't know. Tennessee – the way they played and hit shots, that's what a lot of people thought Missouri, that's what a lot of people, including myself, hoped Missouri would look like this year. I mean, you had, they basically played six guys. Yeah. They, here's how many points they scored, those six guys. 11, 12, 11, 11, 11, 13. Just completely balanced. To me, it just, at least in this game, I haven't watched a ton of Tennessee basketball, but it in this game, it just looked like Tennessee played with better pace and purpose and a better offensive plan. I mean, they, they just have guys coming off screens and curling and doing all this stuff, and they executed the game plan perfectly, 
and they just hit shots. And Missouri's defense was so not what it has been all year long. Just from the very beginning of this game, um, they just weren't where they were supposed to be. They did they played terribly in the perimeter. Um, and I feel like even in some games in the beginning of the year, like Butler and Oklahoma, when they were playing tough opponents, it, it felt like they were still playing good defense. Even w- those teams were still hitting shots, but Missouri was the, where they were supposed to be on defense. Yeah. It did not feel like this. Uh, it did not feel like that at all against Tennessee. And in those other games that you mentioned, Missouri would force a, a two, three, four-minute scoring drought from the other team. That was not happening in this Tennessee game. Yeah, they just... And outside of the great three-point shooting, they they were 11 of 24 from three, so 46% if you round up. But they were also 63% from two. So they just did whatever they wanted all game. They only shot 19 two-pointers to 24 threes. So they had <laughs> they did whatever they want, and they had no need to try to post anybody up, force the ball inside. They were getting everything off of three-pointers and drives and cuts and just three-pointers and layups i mean that's exactly what you ask for from an offense in modern basketball um let's see here one uh topic that kept coming up was uh tennessee's new freshman uh santiago vescovi kind of an interesting story there he is a freshman but he came to their team via the NBA developmental league or academy in Australia, which I didn't even know was a thing, but, uh, it's kind of interesting, not the best timing for Missouri that when Tennessee's supposed to be down a guy, they, they bring this guy in who, uh, he played pretty well. I mean, he was, he didn't shoot the lights out or anything and he only played 19 minutes, but other freshmen like Josiah Jordan James, who was really good in this one. Um, they've got three other freshmen that didn't really need to play but uh, I think Josiah Jordan James could go pro early but aside from that they're looking at young guys who will be able to contribute for a really long time yeah I still think that Tennessee is is in for a little bit of a rebuilding year I think they played I don't know man they they took advantage of Missouri's bad defense that's for sure they're obviously really well coached um but I, I think they really played at the absolute top of their game as a team in this game against Missouri. I don't think they're going to be very good this year. In fact, I think they could very easily play in the play-in game of the SEC tournament. I think it's very possible they <clears throat> they finish in the bottom four. And at this point, it's looking like Missouri might too. Um, so I, I think that um, they have a bright future, in, but uh, this is a, definitely a game Missouri should have won this year at home. Yeah, one thing that the only thing that Tennessee struggled with was turnovers. Missouri was able to turn them over uh, 21 times, which is pretty high uh, for this Tennessee squad, but Missouri couldn't do anything with those extra possessions. Um, Missouri shot 35% from two and 36% from three. So three point shooting wasn't terrible, but man, if you're shooting under 40% on your twos, that that is not going to win very many games. I just, it reminds me of um, Konza Martin's first year when that was just something they struggled with the entire season. And they so were able to overcome it because of Cassius Robertson and right. Jonte Porter and Jordan Barnett three-point shooting. Yeah, there are so many missed layups in this game, so many missed bunnies, if you will. Yeah, we talked about it in the, t- in the Kentucky game, but here Xavier Pinson, one of seven on twos. I mean... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. I feel like Mario McKinney missed missed several in his own right. Yeah. Um, Mario only took one, but he missed it in only two minutes of gameplay. But Mark Smith 0 for 2, and then six other guys made one two-pointer. That's crazy. Yeah. Trey Jackson, though, the lone bright spot for Missouri, I would say, in nine minutes, was able to score 11 points, made his only three-pointer, and made four out of four free throws yeah that was really like one of the brightest points of the game was when trey jackson went on his little run i think he scored like like three consecutive possessions for missouri and yeah one of them was that big three-pointer where i really felt like okay we're going to be fine we're going to win this when he hit that shot i don't know where the game was at that point it was sometime in the second half and it was i don't know if we took the lead with that i think so okay but i really felt like okay we've finally figured it out we got the momentum 
and Trey Jackson was looking good. I felt really good at that point in the game, and then Tennessee hit about Everything was literally four threes terrible. in a row after yeah, that. <laughs> after that. Missouri also got out-rebounded, which is pretty rare for a Conzo Martin team. They were out-rebounded 33-29, to and they got eight of their shots blocked. So just more of that uh, struggling to convert around the rim. Uh, after that loss, Missouri is now 8-6 and six on the season, 0-2 in conference play. They've dropped to 56th in Ken Palm, 131st on offense, and 32nd on defense. Man, that's just really not good. No. Uh, anything else uh, Anything else you have to say about this Tennessee game? Uh, I do have one more topic before we move on to the previews. Let's hear it. Um, how many more games is Jeremiah Tillman going to play in a Missouri uniform? That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I could put a number on it, but I'll just say that Tillman will return at some point this year, and I don't know if he'll be back next year. Yeah, um, you never really know when it's a uh, indefinite uh, injury. He's out indefinitely. So, and with a foot injury, even more so. It seems like they they tried to get him out there and see if he could play through it, and that wasn't happening. So, um, we'll see if there, we get any more details on that. I'm sure people will be asking questions, but man, it's just so timely where it's just like he looked miserable out there like and i guess i don't really blame him sometimes but oh man he's got, he probably almost feels relieved <laughs> he's not having to play in these games right now that's how bad it's gotten where he plays less than 10 minutes a game because he's just always in foul trouble and sometimes he's effective sometimes he isn't it's like just another one of those what if situations that we'll probably look back on like what if jeremiah played it to his potential and it's really insane yeah it's pretty crazy that uh how underwhelming uh compared to our expectations he has been since joining the missouri team and if you had told me when he committed that he would be one of like the most I don't know. It's hard to say that he's one of the most disappointing players in a while, but that's that's really, I mean, that's, in all honesty, that's what it will be. Probably the most, like, Jekyll and Hyde player I could possibly think of. Yeah. And I think when people try to, you know, some people uh, talk down on uh, Conzo Martin's recruiting uh, since he's been at Missouri, and I don't know, you got to point to a guy like Jeremiah Tillman and just be like, Conzo got this guy who... I mean, how could you not want him? I mean, he that that's a guy I point to to just be like, I think a consistent, reliable Jeremiah Tillman would cover up so many weaknesses all three seasons. Yeah, I mean, he's like a seven-foot guy who's as quick as, you know, <clears throat> as like a three-guard, and he is just, he can shoot decently, he can defend he has can plenty of post moves he can yeah he definitely does he can jump out of the gym and he can do everything you could possibly want in a big guy and we just i don't know we'll see it for five minutes at a time and just like wow like wow it's just amazing what he can do sometimes yeah. and his footwork is and he's the mvp of the game when he has a good half mm -hmm. when he has a one half of a game that's him living up to his potential yeah He's the MVP. Yeah, I mean, he's first-team SEC level easily if he's playing to the, the best of his ability. Well, I hope that we do get to see him again. Uh, hopefully he returns from this injury and uh, has a few more of those uh, at least moments, if not performances, that we can look back on fondly. But I do agree that uh, I would say the, the safe money is on him to uh, potentially take his talents overseas and try to earn some money. Uh, playing basketball over there he does have uh, a child and uh, has spoken uh, previously about wanting to support his family with basketball so get away from these college refs yeah yeah that uh go play where nobody's heard of him <laughs> yep where he doesn't have a, a reputation with the officials that probably wouldn't hurt uh a couple things i wanted to touch on uh regarding missouri in the sec after two conference games 
Uh, Missouri's three-point shooting may be returning to, uh, I say, I guess, progressing to the norm. Uh, they're seventh in the SEC, which is not, you know, incredible, but it's not as bad as they were with their national rankings uh, heading into conference play. However, their two-point shooting is 13th in the SEC, uh, has not been good, and so now their offensive efficiency is 13th as well. Their free throw percentage is 13th, and their free throw rate is 11th, and their turnover percentage is 10th. Yeah, it seems like they can never seem to get everything on the same page at the same time. I was noticing, just kind of thinking out loud, uh, watching the, uh, this past week, that the turnovers really have gotten better. I mean, think about where they were, you know, at the beginning of last season. It's pretty much all the same players. They were turning the ball over at, like, unbelievable rates last season at times and so they've really figured that out this year i think they're obviously still turning the ball over a little bit more than they should probably more than the average but um they've gotten so much better in that regard but they forgot how to shoot so yeah Uh, no i'm just kidding um oh kind of the (laughs) three-point shooting yeah like you said it it seems to be a little bit better obviously Pickett and, and watson have been a little bit more present than they were at the beginning of the season but Man, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to tell you about the two-point shooting. There's just nobody I feel um, confident about, maybe outside of Drew Smith, to go get a bucket and in, like inside. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't refute that. I, I mean, mean, think about our, uh, think about our. I'm using air quotes. Big guys yeah. like Reed, Nico, Mitchell Smith. He doesn't play inside. Kobe Brown. No, exactly. So, like, I'm guess I'm thinking of our of our tall guys. Yeah. Who? I mean, Torrance Watson doesn't do anything except yeah. for shooting outside. I think you're gonna have to. I think you're gonna have to try to get Kobe Brown and Trey Jackson. And I just, I honestly don't know if Pickett has the athleticism to finish. I mean, he he's crafty enough to get there sometimes, but he's not finishing over anybody. Yeah, it's kind of like he's, and when he does make it, it's kind of like these weird, like fading hook shots or mm-hmm. something. Where I'm just like, ah, it's not a great shot, and it'll yeah. sometimes go in or right. whatever, but it's not probably a shot that you want to take multiple times. I think we're going to need some of a couple of, I mean like a Kobe Brown and a Trey Jackson uh, have the athleticism to, and the quickness to get to the rim and then finish. So maybe those two. And uh, since we're talking about freshman Mario McKinney, throw them in there and have them try just try to get to the basket a few times. It's kind of the, the problem that we knew might happen when we previewed this team at the beginning of the year was, well, we've got Tillman at the five who might be in, in foul trouble a lot. And we have nobody that we know can play the four. And that's kind of where we are right now is Tillman's not playing. Uh, so we're left with Reed Nico to play the five and a bunch of kind of useless bodies to play the four yeah. and that nobody we can rely on consistently. Speaking of uh, previews, I did say in our Kentucky preview that they were probably going to make more free throws than Missouri attempted. You were right. Uh, speaking of defense, no, nah, I don't even know if we were speaking of defense, but uh, – <laughs> Uh, two games in the SEC play, uh, the defense has not been good for Missouri. Uh, their overall defensive efficiency is 10th. Their uh, effective field goal percentage defense is dead last in the conference, mainly because two-point shooting defense is 14th, dead last. Uh, but because of all those turnovers from Tennessee, they are first in defensive turnover percentage. Wow. So uh, you got to hope and pray and think that I'm fine with uh, being fifth in turnovers if it means we're, you know, near the top half in those other categories. Did Missouri score some transition buckets against Tennessee? Did I witness that, or was that a mirage? Uh, if if it did, then <laughs> maybe I just didn't. I couldn't uh, believe my eyes. Yeah, maybe that. Then maybe that's my case. I don't know. I got when when Missouri when Tennessee just decided they just weren't going to miss and. It just didn't matter what Missouri did. I was like, okay, well, if Missouri can't score, then I don't know. I found it hard to uh, continue watching that game. It was really frustrating. Well, uh, there is a hope uh, on the horizon. Missouri gets to potentially bounce back. They've got a upcoming game against Florida and back at home. So, uh, And it's one that will be well attended. Florida brings a good crowd. Um, Florida brings out a good crowd of Missouri fans is what I mean. Uh, they are 10-4 and four and undefeated 2-0 and in conference play. 
They are 23rd in Ken Palm, 37th on offense, 34th on defense. Um, let's see here. Wins over Xavier, Miami, and Providence in the non-conference. And so far, they beat Alabama at home in double overtime and South Carolina on the road, 81-68. to uh, They don't really have any bad losses. Um, they didn't look very good in their losses to UConn, uh, Utah State, and Florida State. Um, there is an unfamiliar face um, on the Florida roster in senior Kerry Blackshear. He transferred from Virginia Tech. He was the big um, big in stature and notoriety uh, grad transfer on the market this offseason, and Florida was able to get him. And then they also have three sophomores who are excellent, uh, point guard Andrew Nimhard, who was almost a Missouri Tiger. Uh, I recruited him when he was in Springfield for the Missouri or for the uh, Bass Pro Tournament of Champions. Uh, Keontae Johnson also uh, was in Springfield for the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions, and Noah Locke. Uh, those guys, the SEC just has to hope that they go pro soon because those three, as your core, you're always going to win 20 games. I and remember then, watching Keontae Johnson, man, in the Tournament of Champions a couple years ago. He was one of the best players I've ever seen in that event, and I've gone to it many, many times. Yeah, he was incredible. Uh, he threw down some of the biggest dunks that yeah. tournament has ever seen. Yeah. And I knew right then that I would not like seeing uh, him. He's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and you could tell just by – I mean, you can just tell sometimes when guys aren't one-and-done players yeah. but are going to be very, very good college players, and he is that – you know, to witty. Yeah, personified. So, uh, and then they've got a freshman named Scotty Lewis, who was a five-star guy that they were able to get, and he is contributing um, and playing really well. So they have a, a really an excellent roster. Um, they've underperformed in a couple different ways this year, but they're still going to be fighting right there at the top of the SEC. I was kind of down on them uh, at times during non-conference play, but. Yeah. I, don't know. I think they've got the pieces to to win the league if they put it together. Yeah, they've kind of <clears throat> kind of had a similar season that Kentucky's had a little bit. Kind of started out slow, looked a little unimpressive, uh, but they're really kind of starting to hit their stride right now, and they're going to be another really really tough team. Um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think maybe I don't know two or three weeks ago, or maybe even when we previewed the SEC, I thought this would be a win, but this is going to be much more difficult than I think I originally thought. Yeah, Florida is kind of don't laugh when I say this because the hundred point difference in Ken Palm offensive rating says otherwise, but they are similar to Missouri. Um, (laughs) They obviously are better on offense, and they just have they just have guards that can get to the rim and finish. I mean, players that can make shots. Yeah, two point shots. Yeah. Um, and they, but they are still prone to going cold and going a few minutes without scoring. So, uh, one thing scoring field goals, I should say, um, if they're in trouble offensively, uh, they're just going to throw it to Blackshear and he'll either score or get fouled and make a couple free throws. Cause that's, he's one of the best in the country at getting the free throw line. So, um, that's something to not look forward to rest in peace, Nico. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think we could see, I mean, best case scenario, Missouri, you know, makes a few shots, makes a couple more three-pointers than uh, Florida does throughout the game. Um, they're going to have to rely on a couple different scoring droughts of two minutes or more. Um, they're going to have to force a couple of those on Florida. Um I still just think Florida's solid enough and is going to beat Missouri at its own game. I think they're just going to score enough to win a slow slugfest. If that's what Missouri wants to play, I think Florida will be okay with it and just score enough to to make it not matter. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. I'm thinking about a 10-point game that I think Florida will pull out, and I think it could be close at the end of this. Um, it might not be, but... Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that Florida is just too talented. Um, and I think Missouri doesn't know what it is right now. They're good at some things, some games, and terrible at it in other games. And um, at this point, I, I don't think Missouri's offense has shown that they can 
compete with with a talented team like this, um, a team that has a good defense, a team that can has proven shot makers. Missouri has not proven that they can hang around with those kind of teams. Um, my only hope is Missouri kind of realizes that this is one of the few chances they have left, especially at home, to get kind of a marquee win on the season. And that makes me think, and with Florida's uh, ability to struggle at times on offense, I'm partially hoping, but I'm a little bit optimistic that Missouri can just kind of stay around because I don't think Florida has the firepower, especially on the road, to necessarily blow a team out or just, you know, shoot their way to a win. So I'm kind of thinking that Missouri will hang around and I think this will look perfectly winnable with two minutes left. So I think that last two minutes, obviously nobody could ever predict what would happen in that situation. So I look for Missouri to keep it within four points with two minutes left and then we'll see what happens. Man, I hope you're right. That would be that would be great. It would, it would be a huge bounce back win. And, and I do think that Missouri can win this game. I didn't predict a win. Oh, I'm not saying that either. <laughs> but you're saying that they can. They're put. They're going to put themselves in the in the position to win. Yeah. And if they're within whatever you said, like a couple points with mm-hmm. a couple minutes to go, then they're giving themselves the chance to win. So <clears throat> I, I think this is a game Missouri can win, and they've just have to. And I think they know how. They just have to play better defense. Um, both teams, like you've like we've talked about, have the potential to be cold on offense. I think Missouri's proven they're probably going to be because <laughs> they usually are. Yeah. But if Missouri can hit some big shots and go back to the defense that they have been playing for most of the year and really use that home court advantage, then you never know. But um, it's unlikely. I would agree with that. Next, Missouri moves on to play at Mississippi State. Mississippi State is 9-5. and five. Also, uh, just like Missouri, they are 0-2 so far in SEC play. Uh, let me see who they play in the meantime. They play LSU, so there's a pretty good chance. They play LSU on the road, so there's a pretty good chance they're going to be 0-3 uh, when Missouri goes to visit. They are 57th in Ken Palm. So at the time I wrote this, one spot behind Missouri. Uh, 28th on offense, 115th on defense. So kind of a bizarro Missouri reverse, reverse the offense and defense there. Um, they only have two wins in the Kim Palm top 100. Uh, that was against Kansas state and Kent state. They have no bad losses either. Uh, but they did lose to Auburn and Alabama, both by, uh, more than 10 points. Um, obviously you can't talk about this team without talking about Reggie Perry. He is probably going to be first team all sec at the end of the season. Uh, he's their big man who's averaging 15.7 points and 9.6 rebounds per game. He's also a really good passer from the post. So he'll sometimes have a handful of assists in a game, uh, guard Nick Weatherspoon, who is familiar to sec fans. He is back after back folks after being suspended the final 10 games of last year and the first 10 of this season. And since he's returned, he's taken over the point guard spot. He's probably shot the ball a little bit more than they uh, necessarily planned on. He's not (laughs) the most efficient scorer, but, uh, and then one other guy that uh, I think is worth mentioning is sophomore forward, Robert Woodard. He has the best three point percentage in the country, but he's fifth on his own team in percentage of shots taken. That's interesting. So if they figure it out, and honestly, they might be... It's like, hey, uh, this guy's making a lot of shots. We should give him the ball. Yeah, they might be starting to figure that out because in uh, in recent games, uh, he has shot 10, 10, and 6 three-pointers. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Nick Weatherspoon's kind of a ball hog, so maybe he he's going to take all the shots. But uh, in all seriousness, though, I did not realize that he has been suspended that long. I, what is that, the last 20, 20 games? games. Yeah. Um, but he's a really good player. And he hasn't had like the most electric return, like you mentioned, but I really do think he is a really good player and obviously a guy that pretty much all SEC fans know at this point because he's been around for a little while. And I think he had a brother as well. Yeah. Um, so obviously that last name is familiar with, with most of us. But um, this again, I mean, 
on the road, Mississippi State is a really, really tough game, and I, I think they're honestly pretty sneaky good. Yeah, when we were previewing the uh, SEC, you had Mississippi State much higher than, um, you know, preseason polls mm-hmm. or uh, even Ken Palm projections had. Yeah. I believe had I had them. them sixth or seventh in the yeah. SEC and probably sneaking into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, that Mississippi State fans would love that. I mean, that would be, um, that would mean Weatherspoon really figures it out completely. Um, in conference play and they're able to pull off a couple upsets Uh, they've got an opportunity for a big upset on the road at LSU um, this weekend so what if they if they put it together in that game then I can't see them dropping a home game to Missouri Uh, if they do turn the ball over a lot but Missouri is not the type of team that typically can take advantage of that although number one in the conference right now in turnover percentage defense so (laughs) maybe they'll lean on that a little bit Um, they're really good at getting the free throw line um, which is useful in SEC play, even more so when you're playing Missouri. Um, on defense, though, they do give up a lot of offensive rebounds, and uh, they give up a really high three-point shooting percentage. So maybe an opportunity for Missouri to uh, knock home some threes. It seems like Missouri's trying to get back to around average in three-point shooting. They were so bad at the beginning of the season, it's going to be hard to even get close to average, but I'm all for them trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to say that this is going to be the game that Missouri kind of figures it out. Obviously, Mississippi State's not real great on defense. I'd love to say that, you know, Torrance Watson goes and hits six threes, you know, again, or Mark Smith goes off. Um, I just don't see it, unfortunately. I think Missouri's kind of, well, I say historically, but in their time in the SEC, I feel like has really struggled with Mississippi State for whatever reason. seems like they've been a really sticky out every time they play them. Um, they're well coached, have probably a uh, little better athletes than Missouri does at this point and may have a little bit more to play for um, this season. So, and obviously they're, they're home, which is a huge thing. So I don't see this game going well for Missouri. I think, unfortunately, they're going to be 0-4 to start off SEC play. Oh man, that is a little depressing, <laughs> but uh, not shocking. Especially we knew this first five games of the season were going to be tough. I mean, it was going to be – no, I don't think anybody really thought they would have a winning record in SEC play after five games. No, and that's what made the Tennessee game so, so crucial, and they just totally dropped the ball. Yeah. Um, I I don't see – I'm with you, though. I don't see this game being, in my opinion, as close as the Florida game, Um, especially with Tillman not playing. I think they might – just absolutely get destroyed inside and we might see another one of these like as far as two-point shooting i mean we might see missouri at 31 percent and mississippi state at 68 percent now the most important question i have for you on the whole podcast is will axel Congo make an appearance against florida or mississippi state and if so which game don't think he should make an appearance but I think he will um personally I know you I just asked you a question and you didn't answer it and then I am gonna go ahead and answer give you my it. opinion but I think he will just because I think Missouri is gonna go against two really talented big men in the next two games both guys draw fouls they're both like fantastic at doing that I think all Missouri's bigs are gonna be in foul trouble and Mr. Congo is going to get some chance to prove, get a chance to prove that he's as good on defense as they say he is. They say he's good on defense. Well, I mean, that's. I feel like that was all the talk whenever he committed was that he was a really good like rim projector, and he, that's you know he was athletically hanging with him um, on defense. But Missouri's offense is terrible, so maybe that's why. Yeah, he probably shut him down in, yeah. in practice, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else does, and they're like, man, this guy's electric. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I yeah, I think I don't think I mean, I would rather just see them I don't know. I guess give them a shot, but I think I'd rather see them go a completely different direction with the lineup uh than try to get him in as a traditional 5. But that being said, I think you're probably right. I think he we probably see him in both games. Um So, we'll see. So there's that. Yeah. We have that to potentially look forward to. Uh, 
an 0 and 4 start or just like not necessarily 0 and 4 but a bad start to sec play uh has not been uncommon so far uh in conzo martin's tenure uh they started his first season three and five in the sec ended up being 10 and 8 uh last year they started well last year is not a great example but uh last year they started five and 13 because that was their (laughs) entire conference record. Um, and this season we're thinking probably Oh and four, but there's still, there's still opportunities ahead. We just got to get through this beginning, this uh, rough beginning stretch. Anything else you want to talk about? Probably, but I better just shut up for the, the sake of the, of the people. I actually, I actually have a question for you. Okay. Let's hear it. I don't care about the sake of the people. Wow. Um, as a as a podcast, now we don't always have to agree on everything, but at what point do we still really like Conzo Martin, but start to wonder how much longer he has left in Columbia? Well, th- this was a little bit actually what I meant by there are things I'd like to talk about. <laughs> you don't and, say. And one of those things was... I have absolutely no idea what's going on in recruiting, and that scares the frick out of me because we're terrible. We have nothing to look forward to, and there's nobody that we are like actively recruiting, it seems like. Um, that's, that sounds like the sky is falling, um, and it, maybe it is. And But, you know, Conzo Martin has kind of been – has kind of operated like that where it's like, oh, okay, randomly this guy commits, and it's like, okay, I didn't know we were committing – I didn't know we were recruiting this guy, Yeah, and now he's committed. So maybe there's recruiting going on that we don't know about, but it seems like as dry as the Sahara on the recruiting trail right now. We're probably not going to get Josh Christopher. We might. Who knows? We probably won't. Uh, Jordan Wilmore, I'm sorry, doesn't really excite me, at least for like the return of the program to excellence. So, um, And if I'm being incredibly honest, I have obviously followed Conzo Martin's career pretty closely since because we live in Springfield, and so he... I was a pretty big fan of Missouri State back in the day when Konza was there, and they were really good, and he did a great job there. But one thing that he did when he left was there was nobody committed. I think there was maybe one guy, Christian Kirk, who was a local guy, was committed. And he kind of left the cupboard bare for Missouri State when he left, and I'm not sure. I don't know if he knew he was leaving or I don't know what the case was. But that kind of scares me that it looks like it's almost the same kind of thing where it's like, who are we recruiting? We have one guy that's not very impressive. That's committed. What's the plan? Are you thinking you're going to be here long-term? Um, I'm not in any way speculating that Conta Martin thinks he's on the way out or anything like right. that, but I'm just kind of saying that there's patterns in the past that have been there. That kind of red flags is kind of looking a little bit similar to those things right now. Um, with that said, his his contract, I mean, I don't even know if that allows him to fire him in, after the season. And I don't no. even know that we would want to do something like that. But Yeah, um, he uh, he can't be fired until after next season. Gotcha. Um, so let me kind of give you my quick little optimistic uh, rebuttal to a couple of your points. Um, he can't be fired until the end of next year. Um, at that time, let's say... Let's say things end poorly. Let's say they're under 500 in conference play this year. Um, Jeremiah Tillman goes to play pro ball overseas. They miss on Josh Christopher. Um, they are filling the the one scholarship with uh, Jordan Will. Wilmore. Yep. Uh, then let's say they, they pick up somebody else that maybe doesn't really – do you know at this point if they're all in on josh christopher whatever if if they filled that scholarship with somebody else maybe it would be a a transfer or a graduate transfer or something like that but doesn't move the needle too much they are improved next year because of um you know just the development of the juniors and sophomores on the roster but still not uh really knocking on that top four in the in the conference door at that point the recruiting class is going to be so important. The 2021 recruiting class, there's guys in and around the state of Missouri that are important, would be really good, and are also gettable. 
in a way that Caleb Love, Josh Christopher, and even Cam Fletcher were not necessarily. So maybe some of these guys blow up and some blue bloods join the the recruiting trail on them, but I think that's going to be the point basically this time next year when we're looking at who he has signed for the 2021 class. Then we'll kind of know a lot more than what we know at this point. Yeah, we may even know a lot more on signing day for this class because obviously there's a ways to go. There's probably things going on that we don't know about. Maybe they truly feel that good about Josh Christopher that they don't need to recruit for plan B. I don't know. Maybe they feel like they kind of have almost a silent commitment from him because of the family connection and the opportunity that of playing time that he has, opportunity to leave a legacy um, that he might not have at UCLA or you know other really, really big programs like that. Um, that seems a little scary if that is the case, um, but you know it might be more scary if, if we're not getting him and there still seems to be no plan, but I agree. I mean, there's a ways to go, and next year's recruiting class really may be the make or break. Yeah, I mean, as much as we hyped up the 2020 class and the, the, you know, the names that are in it speak for themselves. There was always just the fact that when you're competing with Kentucky and North Carolina and UCLA and, and these type of schools, it's just, it's far-fetched. Um, but there's a, there's a, there's a class out there in 2021 that will be, that would be similar to the current sophomores, but add a, a star to each of them, add, you know, 25 spots in the recruiting rankings to each of them that kind of class is out there to be had in 2021 so um that'll be worth that'll be i mean missouri has to i mean if 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 the basketball team lost every single conference game they they still can't fire him so that part doesn't really matter um what really matters is getting these guys to come together and give us hope for development next year and what happens with Josh Christopher. That's those are the two things that really are going to matter the most at this point. I agree. All right. So you make the call. What is this season? 2020 season is cons of the coach for the 2022 season. Yes, I agree. It will be done. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we added a little. I'm glad we added a couple minutes to the podcast there. Yeah, yeah give, give a give a, give the people some give, what they want. Give them what they you know, want. They, they're looking for it, you know. Yeah, they didn't. You didn't have anything better to do anyway. True, except I'm kind of hungry. Well, I, I was talking to the the listeners. But I know you didn't either. <laughs> I'm kind of hungry too. I, so. I meant like I thought there was nothing better for me to do than like in the podcast and like go home. But you're right. Oh, I see. I would it would I would have rather spent that that time here discussing Conzo Martin with you guys. All right. Well, you can be done now. Okay. Well, let's wrap this podcast up. You can find this on uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We are on Twitter, and we tweet a lot. Oh, we're, yeah. We're follow, good follow. There. I think we're a good follow. Definitely. Uh, at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And if you're still listening, you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you're still listening, we'll see you next week. 